You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, uh, I really struggled with what to call this message this morning, and I landed on the doorway of desire. And as I sat with that title this morning, I realized what a mistake that was because it sounds like a cheesy romance novel. (laughs) So I just wanted to call it out at the beginning before you judged me silently in your head, okay? It just sounds not good, okay? So I apologize for the title. We're going to move away from that slide momentarily, and we will never speak of it again, okay? I do, what I do want to talk about though today is desire. Now desire is simply defined as a strong feeling that you want something. So for instance, when you are hungry, you desire food. When you are thirsty, you desire a drink. When you're anxious, you desire peace. When you're scared, you desire security. And when you're lonely, you desire connection. So desire is a constant companion in our lives. I would go so far as to argue there is probably not a moment in your life in which desire is not in some way present within you. And the truth is, desire drives all that we do. Desire drives all that we do. If you think about it, desire is to our behavior what fuel is to an engine. So fuel in an engine works by releasing energy through combustion, which creates expanding gases that push the engine's pistons and ultimately drive the vehicle's wheels. Now, If you are thinking to yourself in this moment, when did our pastor become such a knowledgeable auto mechanic? Rest assured, I did not. I had to use an AI chatbot to even figure out how to articulate the simple workings of an engine. Now, my ignorance aside, what I do know is that no engine runs without fuel because it's that fuel that provides the energy that makes it function. And desire is the exact same for you and I. Desire drives everything that we do. And as a result of this, God is deeply invested in our desires. And that explains the prominence of desire in the scriptures. It's just everywhere. Do you know that the noun desire in our English translations is used to translate 12 different Hebrew words and three different Greek words? Now, these various words are used to describe both healthy and unhealthy Uh, righteous and unrighteous desires at play within us. An example uh, of this would be in Psalm 37.4, where we read the psalmist say this, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. In fact, did you know that the question that Jesus asks most frequently in the New Testament is this question, What do you want me to do for you? It's a question about desire, to want is desire. And this is what Jesus asked John's disciples in John 1.38. This is what he asks blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10.51. This is what he asked James and John, his disciples, in Mark 10.35 and 36. This is what he asks the man who's been disabled for 38 years in John 5 verse 6. It's all about desire. St. Augustine echoed the words of scripture when he said, the entire life of a good Christian is never less than holy desire. And this holy desire is what Jesus described as the greatest commandment, to love God and to love one another. 
Ronald Rollheiser wrote, spirituality concerns what we do with our desire. Desire drives all that we do, including our relationship with Jesus and our relationships with one another. And so as such, God is just deeply invested in our desires. And so over and over and over again, we read of Jesus drawing out the desires within the hearts of those to whom he ministered. And and here's why. Our desires, and this explains my cheesy romance novel title, okay? Our desires are the door through which both Jesus and others are invited to inhabit the deepest parts of our story. Our desires are the door through which both Jesus and others are invited to inhabit the deepest parts of our story. And so it's so critical that we understand that Jesus is not content to merely change our moral framework. He isn't content to just force upon us a new set of rules to keep. In fact, maybe the primary difference between religion on the one hand and the way of Jesus on the other is this very point. If you grew up in any sort of religiously legalistic environment, my guess is what you experienced was an immense amount of focus put on external behavior in hopes that if you do these sets of things, that you will be accepted and loved and received by God. And that makes sense. The problem is not one time does Jesus ever talk about that. In fact, Jesus' way is to change us from the inside, to change our hearts, to change our desires, so that we would long to, be, to be, behave in a way that is more conducive with how he calls us to flourish in life. So this has everything to do with how we go about following Jesus. He longs to transform our hearts and our desires in a way that form us more and more in his image. And his interaction with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 that we've been studying it provides another example of just this. And so at the risk of redundancy, let me just briefly recap what's happened in our story so far, just in case uh, any of you might have, have missed it up to this point. So Jesus' disciples find themselves in what we have labeled a liminal state, meaning that they stand at a threshold between two spaces. Everything they had desired had come to a crashing halt when Jesus was crucified, And as a result of that, their future is unknown and uncertain. And in this space, Jesus helps them to both identify and to explore their deepest desires. And he does this by simply inviting them to share their story of disappointment and confusion. So their desires become the door through which Jesus provides them with a transforming encounter with himself. And through his example this morning, we're going to learn a little bit more, not only about how Jesus longs to relate with each of us, but also how we can, in turn, continue to be better spiritual companions to one another as we work to build these formative friendships that we've been talking about. So let's start by just reading these verses together. We're going to start in verse 19 this morning, and so read along with me. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb 
And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So, notice that Jesus invites them to share the story that caused their discouraged state. He does this by just just simply saying, what things? What are these things that you've been disputing, that you've been talking about, that you've experienced? What things? He invites them to share their story. And in this, in their explanation, their answer to that question, as they begin to unpack this story, we see various levels of communication that help them and help us live in the open with others. Now, I think that we all have some sense of this, but you know, all communication exists on a spectrum. And that spectrum ranges from the superficial to the very, very deep. Now, experts on communication differ on the number and the names of levels, but we see here at least three different levels of conversation taking place. The first is just the the very superficial level of facts. So they explained that they'd been discussing the events surrounding Jesus. Their chief priests and their leaders had handed Jesus over to be crucified. Furthermore, they explained the fact that some of the women from their group show up that morning claiming that Jesus' tomb was empty and that they'd had a vision of angels saying that Jesus was alive. These are just simply the facts of the story. But second, they move on and they share their own opinions about Jesus, a deeper level of communication. In verse 19, they say Jesus was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. So their opinion was that Jesus was a prophet. Now, I think we all know this, but opinions are deeper and have a tendency to carry a a, a differing level of vulnerability than mere facts. There's very little risk in sharing a fact because facts are just simply facts. Gravity is real. Water is wet. So despite the fact that we live in a culture that constantly seems to want to obscure the line between fact and opinion, there's typically less risk in verbalizing a fact than there is an opinion. Now, that being said, some opinions about Jesus carried tremendous risk for people in their culture. Opinions about Jesus had gotten people thrown out of their synagogues. Opinions about Jesus resulted in people being ostracized by their communities. So there was far more risk for them in the sharing of their opinion than about just the mere facts of the story. And the reality is, as we pay attention, they don't stop there. Third, they go on and they actually begin to share their desires. Notice again that they say, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. And the reality is that the moment that they say those three words, we were hoping, they have moved to the language of desire and longing. And that simple little phrase is pregnant with so much significance. And if we blow by it, we will overlook the vulnerability present within us. Because I want you to notice there that there had been a change between their opinion and their desire. Their opinion was that Jesus was a prophet. But notice, they had hoped that he was the one. They had hoped He was the Messiah. So they're conveying their very deep disappointment. They're saying, man, we really hoped Jesus was the one. But unfortunately, it turns out he was just a prophet. 
And this disclosure of desire is the very door that Jesus is going to use in order to inhabit the deepest part of their experience and story. Now, here's why I'm pointing this out here. Their movement through these levels is instructive in our own work to build formative friendship. True formative friendship will not be built through superficial sharing alone. There is nothing wrong with like superficial conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, all relationship starts with pretty superficial like what's your favorite movie? What kind of music do you like? It's just it's pretty superficial in nature. And so it's good and it's necessary. Most conversations that we even have with good friends start superficial and then we move to the deep. Very rarely do we just jump right into like the heart of something. And so it's good, but we have to see that the formative friendship that we're after is not going to be built through that superficial sharing alone. Formative friendship is built at the deeper level of personal disclosure. And so facts are fine. I would argue that feelings and opinions are better and that desire is paramount. I also want you to note that it was Jesus' invitation to them to step into the open and tell their story of their experience that served as the catalyst for this moment. And that insight invites at least two responses from us. The first one is this. Jesus invites each of us to step into the open and process our experience with him. That's true for all of us, not just these two guys on the road to Emmaus. It's true for you and it's true for me. Jesus invites each of us to step into the open and process our experience with him. Now, that might not sound like super compelling or significant to you, but the reality is that has the ability to transform both how we pray and what we experience when we pray. See, many of us have conflated prayer with little more than presenting God with our requests for the day. So maybe you have something pressing that's coming up in your day or in your week, an interview, a awkward, uncomfortable conversation, hard conversation that you have to have, or just a long, difficult day. Or, or maybe you have just a list of, list of requests that you pray through every single day. Please hear me. Offering your requests to God is an essential expression of prayer. It's essential. In fact, in James 4.2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. There are some things that we long for and desire that genuinely God has not moved on simply because we haven't asked. Not because they're wrong or unrighteous, but because we haven't asked. And he wants to have a relationship with us. He's not just going to always dispense divine fairy dust upon us with that, we'll ev- he'll never do that, okay? I've never experienced that at any point in my life. But we should present our request to God. And we all know this is true. No relationship flourishes when the sole expression of communication is one party asking the others to do stuff for them. That doesn't work. That's like raising it. That's what, if you're wondering, what's life with a toddler like? That's what it's like. One party constantly making requests of the other, and there's nothing ever reciprocated in the end. All the the moms of young children are like feeling, now I feel seen, right? (laughs) But that relationship for the long haul does not flourish in that. Real, growing, lasting relationship demands more. We have to learn to share the sum of our experience, both with God and with one another. And so this week, I want to invite you to experiment with something. When you take an opportunity to pray, 
I want you to, to, to experiment with two things. I want you to start by imagining, as best you can, ask the Holy Spirit to help you imagine Jesus looking at you with love and compassion and understanding. And, and sometimes when we try to, like, some of us are more visual than others, so that might be hard for you. And so maybe what the Spirit will give you is just a sense of his presence with you and that that sense would carry his love and his compassion and understanding. So ask the Spirit, Lord, help me to have a sense of Jesus' posture toward me right now, which is always one of love and compassion and understanding. And once you have that image in your mind, I want you to imagine Jesus asking you, what is on your heart and mind today? What is on your heart and mind today? So that means, what are you fixating on? You know how we get stuck in those like mental ruts? Usually like what psychologists would usually call that anxiety, where there's this thing we're spinning on over and over and over again, and we can't stop thinking about it. Talk to God about that. Imagine Jesus asking you, what are you, what are you worrying about today? What's causing you distress? What are you happy about? What's bringing you joy? For what are you grateful? What is on your heart and your mind today? And so in addition to making your requests known to God, talk to him about what it is that you're experiencing. I would argue that maybe the reason that we find prayer so boring is that we have made one part the sum. Because it's like, who, who wants to forever sit in a restaurant just presenting a server with your order over and over again? That's it. No food ever comes, just an order over and over and over again. That's the way most of us pray. And then we're like, why is this so boring? Because it's just one essential, good, necessary, but only one part of this larger invitation that Jesus extends to us that we call prayer. In addition to our daily needs, Jesus invites each of us to step into the open and process our experience with him. A second thing that we see here is that we are invited to draw one another into the open to process our experience together. So it isn't just an us and Jesus thing. It's that we would do that with Jesus, and then we would process our experience with one another. Because remember, even before they understand that this is Jesus, up to this point, We'll see in the coming weeks as this story unfolds, there is a moment in which they realize, oh my gosh, this has been Jesus the whole time. But they don't understand that yet. And he makes it very clear that he truly wants to hear what they're carrying. And so how does he do that? He does that by inviting them to tell their story. And so when we sit together in our everyday friendships, in our marriages, with our kids, at a family night like we had last Sunday, at a meetup or a formation group, we are invited to follow the example of Jesus and draw out the desires and the felt experiences of those with which we are in relationship. Now, the ease with which we can do this is going to depend on a number of different things. It's going to be harder in some cases than others. The nature of the relationship has a lot to do with the ease of this experience. The, your emotional makeup, the emotional makeup of the person that you're talking with, the setting, the subject matter, all of that is going to determine the ease with which we are able to have these conversations. But that being said, we can learn to get better and better at it. And so in order to be helpful, I want to give you three basic questions that help invite people into the open. 
And you can, I want to be clear about this, you can reword these to fit your own personality. You can reword some version of these to fit like your situation and conversation. These are just meant to get us started and to help give us a basic framework to help draw people to deeper levels of communication. All right? So let's, let's hit three questions to draw others deeper. Here's question number one. Super simple. What happened? What happened? Any version of this question invites people to start with the facts of their story, the facts of their experience. So you might be sitting with someone that you don't know very well and be like, hey, what, uh, what happened in your life growing up? You're not really asking them to process it in any deep way, just to share with you the facts of what their experience was. Less broadly, as we see one another, what, what, what happened at, at school this week? What happened at work today? What happened in your life today? It's just a simple question about facts. So the first question is just, what happened? The second one, notice how it moves a little bit deeper. The second question is this, what do you think about what happened? What do you think about what happened? So this is an invitation to process opinions and even some feelings around the experience. So let's say that you ask, um, what's been going on in your life since I've seen you last? That's the factual question, right? That's question number one. And let's say they reply, you know what? I've been having a really hard time being open with my spouse about some stuff. Well, notice that in reply to a factual question, you get a factual answer. That's the, just the facts of it. I'm having a, kind of a hard time being open with my, my spouse about some stuff. And so we move to this second question by saying something like, man, I'm so sorry to hear, hear that. Why, why do you think that that's been so hard for you to be open with your spouse. Notice how that second question has invited them to move from just the mere surface level of the facts to the deeper level of processing their opinion and even some feelings about the experience. And we're not gonna stop there. We can go one step deeper, like we see these disciples do in Luke 24, with this third question. Well, what do you want to happen? What do you want to happen? Notice how that's an aspirational question. This is a question of desire or longing. And so let's, let's say that the response to that second question is, well, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm just afraid that if I open up about this, that they're going to judge me. Or if I open up about this, maybe they're, they're even going to reject me. Notice how it draws them even one level, level deeper to say, man, it sounds really heavy for you to carry this fear of judgment, what would you really want to see happen in your marriage, in this relationship? Notice the progression. We go from facts to opinions and feelings to desires. And once the person says, well, what I really want to have happen in my marriage is that we can just openly talk about anything. That verbalizing of desire. It doesn't immediately solve anything, but what it does is it gives us what I would call a formational goal. And a formational goal would be something that we want to see Jesus form in us, or see something that we want to see Jesus form in our relationship or in our lives. And after a, a, a formational goal is verbalized, it gives us something to actually pray towards. It gives us, now we know exactly what the goal is, it gives us something to actually move towards. And then in relationship with one another, we can support one another. 
as we seek Jesus to form these good desires in our lives. So what happened? What do you think about what happened? And what do you want to happen? Now, I want to close this morning by stating something that I think is probably going to be like pretty obvious to you. And, and that's this, conversations that center around our desires. Any conversation that centers around our longings are always going to be marked by some amount of vulnerability. It's vulnerable to share these things. It feels risky for a number of different reasons. And vulnerability, it, by definition, is very uncomfortable. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable to share it, it isn't vulnerable for you because it is, by definition, uncomfortable. And so here's the question. I want to pose this question of desire to you. As you think about formative friendship, what do you truly want? What do you want? I think it is so important for us to be crystal clear about not just what, but the degree to which we desire to really experience these kinds of relationships. Because what I've noticed is, at the start of this series, we start very general, that God wants us to have deep, meaningful, safe friendships. Every single one of us would raise our hands and go, I'm in, I want that. But here's the risk, as we continue to move deeper and deeper and deeper into what it requires to experience that and to build that, it gets more and more uncomfortable. And with the discomfort comes internal resistance. And so in the general sense, we would all say, yes, I want to have formative friendships. And then as we begin to break down how those are formed, how those are built, we start to resist that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I just want this to happen. I don't want to have to actually take these steps that test me and pull me outside of my comfort zone. And if we're going to continue to apply the spiritual practices necessary to build these friendships, we have to keep front of mind what it is that we want. So let me ask you again, what do you want? Do you truly want more emotional depth in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others? Do you truly want to grow in Christ-likeness? Because if that's your desire, these types of conversations are part of your path. Our desires are the door through which both Jesus and others are invited to inhabit the deepest parts of our story. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would invite Jesus and a few others into that space. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you have desire, that you want some things for us, that you want a deeper experience of relationship with you than what all of us are experiencing. There's always more with you. And I thank you that you want more for us in our relationships with one another. And Lord, I just confess on our behalf how hard it is there is fear and anxiety. There's past experiences that we have had where we have been deeply wounded in relationship that make us resistant to want to trust. 
Lord, many of us are just tired and we feel overcommitted and stretched too thin and we lack the capacity and the space in our lives to invest what's necessary to build these relationships. So it's just endlessly complicated, Lord. But Lord, even as I was reading in your word this morning in John, you, you promised that your Holy Spirit would be our counselor. That he would provide us wisdom. He would provide us discernment. That he would dwell within us and empower us to say yes to the things that you invite us to. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you for help. Give us wisdom and discernment to know how to apply these things that we see in your word. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the humility, give us the energy to be able to actually move toward what it is that you are inviting us to. Jesus, we thank you that you shed blood, that you gave your life so that we could experience this relationship with you and we could experience this type of relationship with one another. Lord, would you help us to honor your sacrifice by embracing you by grace, through faith, and following you into this realm of desire and longing within us and give us the courage to invite others to inhabit that place with us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.